morning. Today we're beginning um, the fourth week of our 40 days of prayer and encountering God together. Um, and I want to say, just before I start this talk today, that actually we're not just reflecting here. We're not just looking back on the things that God has done, the, the kind of important values of our church that have brought us to this point. It's become clear, I think, that God is using this time to stir us again for the future, to energize us, to prepare us for the things that are coming up. It was so good last Sunday to see, again, people being filled with the Holy Spirit. And on Wednesday, at our meeting last week, people encountering God in all kinds of different ways. So I want to encourage you, church, let's just press in. Am I sounding a bit funny? Am I sounding all right? I'm sounding okay. Let's just press in. Um, to God, again, as we go through the notes, as we read the Bible over this week, let's read the Bible passages. Let's stay in this. Let's, let's get closer and closer to God over this time. So today and over this week, we're going to be looking at grace. And it is a privilege, actually, for me to be able to speak to you about grace this morning. So I was first um, really impacted by grace a few years back as I was walking um, to work in London. And what I was doing was I was walking to work and reading a book. I'm one of those annoying people who reads while they walk. And I was reading a book about Jesus. And I'd been um, kind of in church uh, most of my life. But what happened when I was walking to London to work this day was this, that God revealed to me actually two things. The first was that I saw some of the things that I'd done wrong in my life in a new way. I suddenly had a regret for things that until this point hadn't really seemed like a big deal. And the second thing that God revealed to me was this. It was that I was forgiven. So I knew in that moment that because of what Jesus had done for me on the cross, I was forgiven. Now, at that moment, I felt an incredible sense of appreciation and wonder at what Jesus had done for me. And I think over the years, we can lose that a bit. And I want to say this morning, church, we must not, as we've sung about already again this morning, we must not lose our sense of wonder at at grace, at the gospel, It is an amazing truth what Jesus has done for us. So let's not lose our sense of wonder at it. We're going to look this morning at Ephesians 2. So if you can turn to that in your Bible, it's verses 1 to 10. So this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. If you've not got it, it'll come up on the screen behind me. There it is. Um, So it's Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. And it says this. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me just pray. Father, I thank you so much. 
for the truth of what we've just read. I thank you for the truth of the gospel. And I ask that as I speak now, actually you would reveal Jesus again to us, that we would see again the wonder, Jesus, of what you've done for us, that it would move us, that it would impact us, that it would change us, that we go out of here changed by your grace. I ask that in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at what we deserve, we're going to look at what we receive, and we're going to look at what is our response. So what we deserve, what we receive, and what is our response. So first of all, what do we, re- what do we deserve? Well, one thing you may have noticed when I read through that passage was this, that Paul doesn't mince his words here. He doesn't mince his words. He, he's writing here to a church in Ephesus to encourage the believers. And one of the first things he says is this, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And it's really important here that we understand that Paul wasn't just talking to a a group of people who he'd found to be particularly ungodly. That's not what Paul's getting at. Paul is saying that actually, as human beings, this is our nature. All human beings are like this by nature. We're all dead in our transgressions and sins. However we feel about this, actually, we have to understand that this is about us. That we're all in the same boat. And as descriptions of people go, as descriptions of human beings go, actually, it seems pretty harsh. It seems quite bleak. I want to say this this morning. Before we talk about the the truth of what Jesus has done for us, we can't understand grace until we understand what we deserve. We can't understand grace until we understand what we deserve. See, people will often say that human beings are essentially good. That man is is good. And that from generation to generation, age to age, man is improving. And it's true that we see amazing advancements in things like medicine and science. And we see sometimes outrageous acts of kindness from one person to another. Even the other day I was chatting to an old friend who um, has made a decision to go up a mountain for charity. So in September this year he's going to climb a mountain. He's going to put in all the training hours of effort and training to do this, to raise money for a cause that he really believes in. And all over the world, people, not necessarily Christians, do things that make the world a better place. And yet Paul says this, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Why does Paul say that? Why does he say that? I believe it's because Paul has had an encounter with Jesus. See, Paul was a man, as you know, who persecuted Christians. And then on the way to Damascus, he had Uh, an encounter with the risen Lord. And he saw Jesus in all his power and all his goodness and all his glory and all his holiness. And in that moment, Paul saw himself in a new light. Actually, he saw his real position before a holy God. Paul knew that he'd been living in hostility to God. And actually, the Bible says that that is true of all of us. So what is our problem? Well, if you look at verses kind of two and three of the passage we just read. Paul says this, that we're following the wrong things. Actually, we're good followers, but we're following the wrong things. He says that we, we follow the ways of the world. So actually, we, we follow the things that our culture says is acceptable. And our morality can sometimes be defined by what seems right at that time, by what feels right, rather than by what God said, says is right. And he also says we gratify the cravings of our flesh. So we follow sin and temptation. We give in to sin. And we can sometimes write kind of sin off as just the mistakes that we make. But actually, Paul says it's, it's bigger than that. 
Actually, it's hostility to God. We were made to love God. We were made to follow him. We were made to serve him and worship him. But instead, we choose to follow and serve and love and worship other things that were never meant to be God. And we're all guilty of this. Growing up, um, I found that I was often labelled as nice. I was the nice boy. Um, I was quite clean cut. I had a nice group of friends. Um, I rarely got into trouble at school. Um, and people thought I was nice. And, and I remember um, when I was about 17, um, a girl that I worked with at, at the co-op in Cornwall, she said this to me. She said, Rich, you're like a mum's dream boyfriend for their daughter. <laughs> and what she meant was just that I just, just seemed really nice. But the thing is this, as nice as we might look to other people, actually we know what is in ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves. We know the, the pride, the selfishness, the bitterness, the anger, the lust that can build up in ourselves. And actually, before God, it is all exposed. See, we can dress ourselves up for people. But actually, God sees our heart. People see the actions that we do. But God knows the motives behind the actions. We can't understand grace until we understand what we deserve. And Paul says here, we're all deserving of wrath. Now, I wonder how comfortably the word wrath sits with your view of God. So if you went out into King's Kids and the children's work, and you spoke to the children and you said, what I want you to do is to give me um, all the words that you can think of when you think of God. I imagine what they'd say is, they'd say words like love and kindness and patience and, and joy, and God is good. And God is all those things. God is all those things, but God also has a hate for evil, a righteous anger against evil. Do you know, if he didn't, he wouldn't be good. His wrath, actually, is part of his love. Just in the last couple of days, we've seen again the capacity that people have to commit just horrible acts of violence against other people, sinful acts of violence against other people. And we can take comfort from the the fact that we have a God who detests violence, detests evil, But then we come back to what the Bible says about us. And actually we know that there is sin in all of us. And actually before a holy God, we all fall short. And we're all in the same boat. But praise God that actually when we come to him, what we receive is so different from what we deserve. See, grace is about the vast difference between what we get from God and what we deserve. The film Les Miserables, some of you will know it, um, tells a story of a man who has been transformed by grace. We're going to watch a short clip of it in a moment. But just to set the, set the scene, um, Jean Valjean has just been released from 19 years in prison. And over his time in prison, he's become kind of quite a hardened man. And he's released from prison. He's on parole. He's let out. Actually, because of his past convictions, no one will take him in. He can't find work. He can't find a place to stay. He can't get a meal. And then all of a sudden, this bishop... This kind bishop takes him in, and he gives him a meal. He treats him like a valued guest, and he gives him a a bed for the night. And we're just going to watch this clip from the moment where Valjean is asleep at night. Let's see what happens next.
Put him down! Stay there! Monsignor, we have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for God. I love that film. I love that amazing story of, of grace. So where Valjean stole the, the silver from the bishop, actually he's brought back and he's not just forgiven, but he's given the best candlesticks in the house. He's given riches beyond anything he's known before. And actually, if you know the story, you know that that moment of grace changes Valjean forever. It's a great story of grace. But what do we receive when we come before our holy God? We've looked at what we deserve. What do we receive? Let's look back at that passage in the book of Ephesians. It says this in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. So this passage, it talks about us being dead and then being made alive. So our salvation is nothing short of rebirth. That's what it is. And that tells me a lot about actually who is responsible for my salvation. The mums in the room, um, I want you to think back to um, when you had your babies. Um, some of you might not want to go back. Maybe that's just a dad thing to not necessarily want to go back there. But, but that, the moment where you had your babies, actually, I want you to think about the process. How much were the babies involved in that process? I'd imagine that you would say that actually, at the most, they were accommodating. But when I look back on, actually, when we had our own children... Actually, it certainly looked like my wife was doing most of the work. It looked like the, the children weren't really helping much, to be honest. And actually, with our salvation, it is all God's work. It is all what he has done for us. It is rebirth. He's brought us from being dead to being alive. And the passage says this. It explains why he does it. It is out of his great love for us. It is out of the richness of his mercy. So you notice there's nothing in there about our character. It's all about the character of God. It's all about him. Let's remind ourselves of what he did. He did this. The Father sent the Son. And unlike us, Jesus 
was pure in motives as well as in action. There's no sin in him. Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience to his father. He obeyed the laws. He loved God with all his heart and all his soul, his mind, all his strength. And then he went to the cross. And if you want to understand the punishment that you should have received for the way that you've lived, actually look at the cross. See, the cross, crucifixion, was excruciatingly painful, and it was also shameful. It was a shameful, humiliating way to die. The Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And on the cross, all our sin, sin in action, sin in motives, was taken on by Jesus. And God's wrath that should have come to us actually was pointed down at Jesus on the cross. And he took the punishment. He paid the debt. There's that song, I don't know if you know it, Before the Throne of God Above. Love the second verse of that, of that hymn. It says this, Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And it's all out of his love. It's all out of the richness of his character, his grace, his goodness. No matter what we've done, no matter how bad our past, God wants to lavish his grace on us. And what do we get in response? We get our sins forgiven, but it's more than that, actually. The Bible says that God's righteousness is credited to us. That we receive the righteousness of God. This is amazing, actually. It's not just that, actually, we, from that moment on, try and earn his righteousness by living in a certain way. No, what it means is that God counts us as righteous through our faith in Jesus. He treats us as though we're righteous, even when we're not. And it is so far from what we deserve. We had a baptism morning here at the end of May. Um, some of you may have been here, but um, one of the people who got baptised was, was Lindsay Kellum. And she said this in her testimony before she got baptised. When I gave my life to the Lord, I've never been so afraid. The sense of fear I felt was extreme and paralysing unlike anything I've ever felt before. I think I thought that I was about to face condemnation for the way I'd lived and some of the things that I'd said and done. But all I received when I made that decision was God's pure, unending love, his grace and his mercy for me. See, this is what happens when you come repentant before God. Actually, where you deserve condemnation, where you deserve punishment, what you receive instead is his grace, his unending love, his mercy. I want to say, if you've um, never experienced that for yourself, then there'll be an opportunity at the end of this morning to receive that, an invitation just to be able to give your life to Jesus and accept his mercy, his forgiveness. So what is our response? We've looked at what we deserve, what we receive. What is our response to what Jesus has done for us? I want to say this morning that I believe there's two things that God is calling us to do in response. The first is this. The first is that we live in grace for ourselves. And the second is that we show grace to others. So we live in grace for ourselves and we show grace to others. So what does it mean for us to live in grace? Does it mean that we can just do what we like, live how we like, because we've got a God who's going to forgive us? Well, if you look at verse 10, it says this. Verse 10 in in that passage in Ephesians. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So verse 9 said that our works have nothing to do with our salvation, but verse 10 says we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In other words, our works don't save us, 
but we're saved to do good work. See, grace, rather than just letting us live how we like, calls us to a wholly different life, a wholly better life. We're called to a new life of following Jesus. So how do we do it? I want to suggest this, that it's, it's through knowing that we're already righteous. It's through knowing that we already have God's approval. Tim Keller writes this, Do you realize that it is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you get the verdict before the performance? The verdict is in, and now you perform on the basis of the verdict. So what he's saying is this. So often, we do things just to try and earn approval. But the gospel says you already have approval because God has found one in Jesus who he approves of. And we live out of that righteousness. It's so, you know, so countercultural. It goes so against everything else that we try and do that, that we can sometimes miss it. We sometimes miss it. Jesus tells a story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Many of you will know this story. So a man has two sons, and the younger son asks his dad for his share of the inheritance. And he takes that money from his dad, and he goes off, and he squanders the money on prostitutes and, and wild living and there's a famine in the land. And what happens is he gets so poor and, and so hungry that he, he hires himself out to a man who sends him out to, sit, to feed pigs. And he's so hungry that even the pig food looks tempting to him. Now, you've got to be pretty hungry, I think, and pretty far away for the, the, food, the food that pigs eat to look tempting. But that's where he's at. And he makes a decision. The decision is this, that he's going to go back to his dad and he's going to say sorry and he's going to ask his dad to take him in as a hired hand. And you know the story. He goes back and the father sees him. My long way off runs up to him, throws his arms around him and calls him in. And they have an amazing party. They kill the fattened calf, throws an amazing party for his youngest son. And it's a great story of grace and reconciliation, the father's heart for the prodigal son. But actually, notice this. There's a second son. There's the elder son. And the elder son is not pleased with what's happened. He's angry at his dad for reacting in this way. And he says this, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the dad says to him, my son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. And what is going on here with this elder brother? I want to suggest that he has totally misunderstood the nature of his relationship with the father. So he's doing all the right stuff, but actually it's for all the wrong reasons. He thinks his relationship with his dad is based on him earning his love, trying to work and work and work to get the things of the father But actually, it's based on grace. The father says, all this stuff was yours. All I have was yours already. And the story ends tragically for the elder brother because he's outside of the party, refusing to go in. Church, we can so easily slip into this elder brother mentality. We can so often forget that we're we're saved through grace. We can so easily go back to thinking that we have to earn God's approval when we already have it. I want to say to you this morning, don't go down that route. See, that route leads to bitterness and resentment. Because what happens is when things start to go wrong, what you think is this. Actually, how is that fair when all I've done for you, God? How is that fair? Your relationship with your father is based on grace. You already have his approval, and we have to live in that day after day. 
See, the funny thing is this. Two people can be doing exactly the same good deed, but it might be for totally different reasons. And it might look very similar to people, but to God, it looks hugely different. So one of them can be doing things to try and earn approval, perhaps out of a sense of guilt or whatever. And the other one is doing it out of love and joy and thankfulness to the Father for what he's done. It looks the same to people, but to God, it is hugely different. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. See, we serve the Lord knowing that we're already righteous, that we already have his approval. Otherwise, we've totally missed the point. It's the same with our approach to sin and temptation. We don't stop sinning by just following a list of laws. We do it actually by knowing that we have a new identity in Jesus, that we've already been made righteous. Grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to say, no, I'm not that person anymore. I don't have to respond in the same way. I've got a new identity in Jesus. So important that we keep telling ourselves this. Do you know, we don't always feel righteous. I don't know about you, I don't always feel righteous. But actually, it's the truth. That's what it says in the Bible, that actually when our faith is in Jesus, we've been made righteous. We have to line up our thinking with the truth. I would imagine that some of you here this morning, actually when I read that passage earlier on, you could, you could relate to the bit that said you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but actually the second half of that you find more difficult to relate to. But actually it's in the same passage. It's the same word. We have to understand that when our faith is in Jesus, we've been made righteous. And we need to live in that. So a good test on this is to notice what happens when we mess up. A good test on living in grace, whether or not we're living in grace, is to notice what happens when we mess up. So we've been fasting together um, over the past few weeks. I wonder what your attitude is towards fasting. I wonder if um, on a Wednesday morning, things are going really well. You've managed to avoid food. You get, perhaps you get to work and there's some donuts there on the side and you, you see the donuts. But actually you're going to say, no, I'm, I'm fasting today. I'm, gonna, I'm leaving that. But then about half past nine in the morning, it all gets too much and you cave in and you eat three Danish pastries. I wonder, what your, I wonder what your attitude is to that. I wonder if you put your head down and start mumbling to yourself about um, what a rubbish Christian you are and how much God must hate you and you're never going to be able to please God. Actually, you have to know that God already loves you, that you're already righteous and that you messing up doesn't change your identity in him. You might just need to work on your self-control a little bit. Your identity doesn't change. See, grace isn't a license to sin. Grace is the opposite, really. Grace calls us to a totally different life. It's not that our sin doesn't matter. Jesus went to the cross for our sin. Our sin matters enormously. But actually, we have to know that because of his forgiveness, because of his grace, we've been made righteous and we live out of that truth. That is the way to do the good works that we're called to do. Finally, this is the last thing I want to say this morning. It's this, that because of what Jesus has done for us, we need to show grace to others. Now, our kitchen window overlooks our garden and several other people's back gardens. And I had a shameful moment about two months ago where I looked across at the gardens and I noticed one of the gardens there was looking a bit like it needed a bit of work on it. And I remember thinking to myself, actually, I wish that that family would kind of sort out that garden. Because really it's making our garden look bad, even just kind of being near that garden. Shameful thought. Okay, and even more shameful because of this, right? What I haven't told you is this. That actually I don't spend much time in my garden. And the only reason our garden was looking so good on that particular day was because my parents had been up that weekend and had spent hours <laughs> weeding and pruning 
cutting back the things that shouldn't have been there and planting new things. I know, it's shameful, isn't it? So I had no role to play in our garden looking good. And yet, I had the audacity to look across at other people's gardens and thinking, you need to do some work on that. It's awful. It's awful. But it can be the same with grace. See, as we said earlier, we had no part at all to play in our salvation. So we mustn't allow ourselves to look down on others just because they haven't kind of got themselves together. That becomes a self-righteousness. We're given righteousness through what Jesus has done. Verse 9 in that passage says this, For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to ask this, what is our attitude towards people outside of the church? What happens um, when we walk out of our doors? What about the people who are coming into our church for the first time? What is our attitude? Is our message, is our way of thinking actually that we've somehow got ourselves together? That we've somehow made ourselves right with God? Is it somehow that we've kind of pruned back the stuff in our life that shouldn't have been there and planted new stuff and that actually we've made ourselves right? Or is it that we know the rescuer in Jesus who came down into our mess and pulled us out? Church, that has to be our message. That it's by grace we've been saved. We have to know that and we have to live it out. See, people across our town are crying out for grace. Wherever we go, whether it's in universities, in workplaces, in our families, people are crying out for unconditional love and acceptance. And we need to show it. We need to show it. Ever since I've been in this church, I've experienced wonderful grace in this church. You know, this is a graceful church. There are people here so full of the grace of God. We need to keep showing this grace to people. I want to just end with a quote. It's a lovely quote from a book called No Perfect People Allowed. The writer writes this. If you found a Rembrandt covered in mud, you wouldn't focus on the mud or treat it like mud. Your primary concern wouldn't be the mud at all, though it would need to be removed. You'd be ecstatic to have something so valuable in your care. But if you tried to clean it up by yourself, you might damage it. So you would carefully bring this work of art to a master who could guide you and help restore it to the condition originally intended. When people begin treating one another as God's masterpiece waiting to be revealed, God's grace grows in their lives and, and cleanses them. The message we preach and that we live out with our lives has to be this, that whatever baggage people carry with them, whatever they've done wrong, grace is available through Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith, And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What a truth. What a gospel. Let us, church, not lose the wonder of this. Let us speak it to ourselves and each other day after day. Let us live in it. And let us preach it with our lives. Show this grace to other people for the sake of our town and for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen.